Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance in the Crawl Space Studios in Wormtown. Lance, how goes it today? Oh, it's going pretty well. It was a bit of a battle getting in this morning with all the snow, but made it and um and the the worm gave me the old thumbs up on the way in. Oh, that was nice of the worm. Uh yeah, I I had a quite quite an annoying morning um shoveling and snowing and someone hit my car, but uh we get into that on Patreon. So if you want to check that out, check it out at Patreon. Check that out. Dot yeah. com slash crawlspace podcast. Good little rant. But today, Lance, for this episode, we speak with an old friend, someone who's been on these airwaves many times. Actually, we we might owe her a mug at this point. Uh, her name is Jennifer Amell, and she's been working on the Suitcase Jane Doe case. And Suitcase Jane Doe, as as we know, is a a woman who whose body was found in Downingtown, Pennsylvania in 1995. And Jen has made it her mission to find out the identity of Suitcase Jane Doe, uh, who was dismembered and part of her was put into a suitcase by the Twin Tunnels in Downingtown, Pennsylvania. Her torso was there. And what exists of her now is uh, the composite sketches, the um, the mold of her head, and I believe her skull still exists. But uh, Jen has been working on this for a long time, and periodically she checks in with us with new information. And what she brought to the table today, two pieces of really, really interesting information came to her recently that she's following up on. Yeah, it's a really entertaining episode and really fascinating pieces of information that she's gathered. And I don't want to give any spoilers, but we do have an update at the end of the episode that we'll come in and uh, discuss what we're talking about in the episode. I don't, again, I don't want to spoil anything. I, w- I want you to listen and hear it organically as it unfolds because I think it's compelling. And then we'll come in with the update. And also, without any spoilers, I know we say it in this interview, but if you are the person who wrote Jen that letter, uh, who sent her that email, I mean, please reach back out to her because uh, there's a lot of follow-up questions. Yeah, and if you have any information on Suitcase Jane Doe, please call the Pennsylvania State Police at 717-299-7650. And Tim, our first fictional series under the Crawl Space Network umbrella is Pyrational Stories, as you know. Yes, very exciting. And it just wrapped up its first season, six episodes, called Lotus. And if you're interested in this, you can binge all six episodes uh, on Apple or Spotify. Uh, Gabra Zachman, friend of the show, she did the narration for Michelle McNamara's great book, I'll Be Gone in the Dark. She narrates Lotus. And season two will feature Neil Helligers, and he is uh, narrating The Bathtub. He's another uh, professional audio actor. And um, yeah, if you're uh, if you're interested in this, you can check out Pi Rational at PyRational.com, or if you're searching it on Apple, it's Pi underscore Rational Stories. And uh, got some catchy music by David Williams, another friend of the show. Uh, yeah, we're very excited about it. So uh, yeah, you can binge all six episodes now. Okay, everybody. So hope you enjoy the episode, Suitcase Jane Doe, and check out SuitcaseJaneDoe.com as well and find Jen's work. Thank you very much for listening. Welcome to Crawl Space. What's up, Jennifer Amell, filmmaker, friend? She's helped us with the suitcase Jane Doe case. In fact, I, I would say we've we've broadcast her work. That's kind of how that's worked. And here she is, Jennifer Amell. What's going on? Hello, you guys are too kind. How are you guys doing? 
Oh, we're doing excellent. Uh, it's been a little bit since we talked to you, but you're super busy anyway, and you've been covering the uh, Suitcase Jane Doe case pretty much nonstop, trying to follow up on any any tips or leads or uh, anything that you've been working on um, involving you know interviews with law enforcement and stuff like that. Uh, where where are we now with uh, Suitcase Jane Doe? Are there any developments? Anything you want to talk about that's that's currently happening? Yeah, there's a couple things that we're going to cover in today's episode. Uh, the first of which, I mean, occasionally, uh, sometimes people write in with uh, memories or tips or research that they've done. They write to you at suitcasejanedo at gmail.com? They sure do. Ah, perfect. Yeah. Okay. And then do you um, look at those emails and gauge on your own the level of uh, legitimacy and then forward it off to law enforcement? Or do you forward all of them off to law enforcement? You know, I don't know how much le legitimacy I can like really attribute to each email. So I do try to send all the information to law enforcement and let them be the decision makers on that. Um, I don't have like the greatest communication with the state police at this moment. You're kidding. I mean, wait a second. Everyone we know that looks into these things, uh, Jane Doe's, uh, unsolved murders, uh, missing persons, they all have like a like a rapid communication um, channel with the uh, the investigating agency. So I call it a good working relationship. Uh, yeah, I'm shocked, yeah. Jen, to hear that. This is an anomaly. Are you being facetious? Yes. Or? Sorry. Sorry. That was heavily draped in sarcasm. Yes. Sorry. Heavily dripping. <laughs> yeah. It's unfortunate. It's unfortunate because I, I do think that, you know, podcasts and things of this ilk can be very useful yes. to law enforcement. So I really do hope that they reach out to me. I mean, it's not like I'm really looking for them to feed me information. I just would like them to know that Hey, we've got a whole community of people interested in it and who are who have information to like not make this a cold case anymore. Reopen it. Yes. Yeah. And I think uh, a little bit has to do with the pride of having a case that you have been working on uh, as a uh, law enforcement official. And then you have somebody who is, you know, in their eyes, maybe just reading something uh, surface level on the Internet and thinking you can solve the case. So uh, I think working with you hopefully they can hear the work that you've done through our show and they can understand that there it, it isn't as like black and white yeah this is there are real people out there who might put themselves in a situation of you know maybe a little dangerous situation when we're talking about a, a dismembered body yep and there's a perpetrator of that crime and someone like jennifer who is trying to figure out what happened to this person responsibly responsibly so there there is that level of of in between where it's not just somebody who's like i can solve this but someone who's trying to actually do some some hands-on work but that comes with a cost you know i mean right now we're on skype with you and you are in hiding in a cabin in the middle <laughs> of the woods and an undisclosed location Right, and just undisclosed yeah. no i'm in north carolina it's beautiful oh, i feel like i'm say that shit <laughs> No, she's no, just kidding. We, it's, <laughs> I can see the snow falling in the background. It is not North Carolina. So, <laughs> so uh, tell us a little bit about Suitcase Jane Doe and your work on this case. Refresh m some memories. Okay. All right. Um, so let's let's backtrack to episode one. So this uh, case is about a woman's torso who was found that was found in a suitcase um, outside of the Twin Tunnels on Valley Creek Road 
in Downingtown, Pennsylvania. Subsequently, six months later, um, a jogger found a pair of legs that was later determined to belong to the torso. Maybe. <laughs> right, most well, likely, right. Most likely belonging to the torso. And since there has not been a suspect in the case, and the woman's identity has never been discovered. Yeah, it's been a little bit of a journey for you. Um, personally, you have spoken with some law enforcement. You spoke with, um, I believe, the former, uh, was it the attorney general? The DA. The DA, okay. Duh. Yeah. Um, so, the, But that was pretty cool. That was on a radio show. And uh, yeah. you spoke with the man who found suitcase Jane Doe in the suitcase. That was Buck Plank. You tracked him down. Um, and go back and check out our episodes or check out suitcasejanedoe.com. I'm sure uh, there are some links and information there. So you've had this, this wild journey, uh, twists and turns, ups and downs, um, some digging that you've done. What have you learned recently? So I was recently contacted by an anonymous person. They used an encrypted email, which is kind of common, strangely. People mm -hmm. just don't want their names associated with it, which I totally get. Um, but we'll call this person JW. So it was kind of a, an interesting story, a, a memory that they had. And they were listening to the Crawl Space podcast on Suitcase Jane Doe, and this memory was triggered. And so they decided to write in, do you guys mind if I... If I read you the story, please. Okay, so you're going to read the email that you received from JW. Yes. Okay. I would like to start by saying that I have absolutely no idea if any of this is relevant to the suitcase Jane Doe case at all. But once I heard your podcast and saw that you guys had been looking into the case, I needed to reach out. For the last few years, I've had this sick feeling in my stomach related to an experience I had around the time Jane Doe's body was discovered. I was 13 years old at the time and lived off of a road in Downingtown, PA. My friends and I used to ride our bikes all around town, including Valley Creek Road and the Twin Tunnels area where the body was eventually found. Sometime that year, I was riding my bike around the Black Hawk apartment complex down the street from my home, and I came across a dumpster. The dumpster was rusted out a bit and some of the contents of which had fallen out the bottom. What I found were a bunch of Polaroids. The photos were of women in their underwear, sitting, laying, or kneeling on the same bed. The one thing I can remember is that none of, the, none of them looked particularly happy to be there. They all looked terrified, and I believe I remember seeing one of them with their hands tied. Now, who knows if this was anything more than just some guy getting girls he slept with to pose for photos. But after flipping through them, I got to the images that have stayed with me my entire life. A couple of the photos appeared to show a mini freezer in a home with a whole lot of blood and what I could swear were body parts. I told myself that this is, couldn't be what it was, that nothing like that would happen in Downingtown. And as a 13-year-old, wasn't really in a position to play detective. I know this sounds completely hyperbolic, but I've always thought that those photos were of something terrible. I do remember that one of the women in the photos matched the description of Jane Doe. There was at least one brunette and one blonde woman in the photos. Shortly after finding these photos and bringing them home, my dad found them, asked where I got them, and told him I just found them on the road. I was scolded for keeping partially nude photos of women in my bedroom, and then he told me he didn't think there was anything to the freezer photo, and that it just looked like a hunter was storing a few of his recent kills. Soon after, I believe I recall him throwing them out. 
I hadn't really thought about this for years until one of my friends from PA posted some story about the case on Facebook a couple years ago. And when I read the story, it gave me chills. I'd always been incredibly curious about the photos I found, and I truly believe they had something to do with this case. Wow. Pretty interesting. Yeah. yeah. Really creepy. You get yourself into some situations. <laughs> so I just did uh, some quick math. Uh, suitcase Jane Doe went missing in July of 95, and he was 13 when he found the, the photos. Yeah. So so he's 13, 37, 37 mm-hmm. or 38 years yep. old right now. So, um, And where did he find them? Under a dumpster or in a dumpster? So I think from his message, he meant like, under the dumpster, they had like a rusted out hole in the bottom of it, and the photos had like fallen out the bottom of the dumpster. Out of like a trash bag, probably. Yeah. Ripped yes. trash or bag. We just tossed the photos mm. into the dumpster and they sunk to the bottom of it. So, my first question about it is like, why would someone be throwing those photos away? Like, wouldn't that, wouldn't that be a prized possession for the person who took them? Or maybe the person who took them didn't throw them away. Maybe somebody who that person knew found them and was like, I'm just going to toss these. Or maybe that person died and they were clearing yeah. out their house or their storage unit or something like that. Yeah. Do you believe this story? I don't know if it's worth me saying if I believe it or not. Mm-hmm. It's, this is a difficult thing to talk about. I mean. Okay. I'll ask it in a different way. Do you think <laughs> that the person who emailed is genuine in their recollection of the story? Yes. Yes, I do. Yeah, it's That's tough. <laughs> so many years ago, though, like um, your imagination gets a hold of your memory and can twist it a little bit and really exaggerate it. So maybe to a, to a 13-year-old kid, those pictures were not um, in reality as bad as what he or she remembers them being. Sure. I'd say that's yeah, a that strong possibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you attempt any sort of follow-up, any uh, reply to this? You said it was from yeah. a disposable email? Yeah, um, I did have one more exchange with this person oh, okay. um, in which I asked, you know, if I could ask some follow-up questions or, you know, call them or something. And they're like, yeah, email me your follow-up questions, which I did. I might have been a little too strong in my email. <laughs> it was like 20 questions I had for him. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure I, w- I would hope that that's what the person expected. They reached out to you. That's true. With this incredible story. Yeah, yeah. Whoa, Uh, what's up with the questions? Well, I wanted to know, like, when exactly this was. Was it before or after the body was found? Uh, What season was it in 1995? I wanted to know if their mother or father was still alive, if they could maybe corroborate the story. They remember the pictures, maybe, like, since they had an adult brain. Mm -hmm. Right. They'd be able to remember something more. Um, How many different women were in these photos? I mean, he mentioned at least two. Did he write back to you with any answers? No. Uh, no, unfortunately. I did send one more follow-up, but I don't know. Maybe they're just like, Ugh, I got it off my chest, and I don't really want to talk about it anymore. Could be. Um, before we get to more of your questions, does he ever specify that he is, in fact, a he? No. I just started calling him a he for some yeah, reason. Yeah, well, I always pictured a he just because I remember a moment when I was growing up that someone, I guess, in our backyard, we had a, you know, in New Hampshire, it was like a big fort, like woods in the back. I guess my dad was like cutting down wood or something and he found a 
brown paper bag that had uh, pornography magazines in it. And he thought he was convinced I had buried them. Like I was out in the woods like with those. And he was bullshit. So, I mean, maybe it's okay. just a different yeah. way to be brought up. But yeah. <laughs> regardless of whether he was correct or not on, on my, my extracurricular forestry activity. <laughs> what if it was your sister's? I don't think it ever occurred to him that it would have been. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. So, um, but anyway, <laughs> now we're getting we, into we nature digress. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and yeah. What What were some of the other questions that you asked? There was. Um, did any of the women have like distinguishing characteristics? You know, tattoos, moles, striking features. You yeah. know, something that that another person might hear and be like, "Oh, that's that my missing sister," or you know, sure, whatever. Um, did it appear if any of the women were injured or beaten? He mentioned one had their hands tied, but like, it could be just a case of like normal BDSM. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, something nefarious doesn't need to have taken place. Yes. The picture of the freezer and what he assumed was blood is like so specific to me, like a freezer. I'm I'm picturing like one of the like the big ones that you'd find in a basement, right? That's just what I'm picturing because like it, an ice chest. Yeah. If it wasn't that then he probably would have said refrigerator. Right. Um that Well he said mini freezer. Yeah I mini pictured freezer. A, I pictured a small fridge like the one in the crawlspace studios. Mini freezer. okay. All right. It's mini funny freezer. that we're we're picturing these different things. I know. It's fun. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with like what I have been predisposed to think based on movies and, and yeah. books. Mm-hmm. Is that that's where a killer would hide bodies is in this big freezer. It's a good point. Mini freezer. Yeah. Well, um, the Blackhawk apartments where he found these, he she found these pictures are kind of like efficiency apartments. So I imagine if if the photographs were taken in this apart apartment complex, they wouldn't have like a full size freezer or refrigerator okay so wait so what's an efficiency apartment is that something that is like a micro apartment yeah it's small it's either like one bedroom or just like a studio so the dumpster was affiliated with that apartment complex yes so you would presume that whoever took the pictures threw their trash there so you, you would presume i think whoever the photographer of those pictures might actually have lived in that building yeah yeah well that's interesting we have an address to how far at. away from the Twin Tunnels is the apartment complex? A mile. Oh, wow. Yeah. There's a pretty straight shot from these apartments to the Twin Tunnels. You are looking into a particular suspect. Have you tried to look at any potential ties between your potential suspect and the apartment complex? You know what? I have not. Well, that's what you got us for. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good idea. I'll yeah. write a note. Because if it's not like a direct relation, it could be some sort of, I don't know, runs in the same circles of or yeah. knows the landlord or the property management company. Yeah, definitely interesting. Could be somebody who even like is uh, on the uh, like the town department or something that picks up the waste. Yeah. You know, just someone mm-hmm. who yeah. knows, like, it's true. This, the schedule of when dumpsters get picked up or something. I would also check the sex offenders in that uh, apartment building, but I guess you're going way back to the 90s. I don't know if you can do that. Yeah, I'm not sure if there's, like, an archive. I think there is. I think they had that back then. I'm not positive, when did though. They, when did they have to start reporting uh, sex offenders? Yeah, I'm not sure. Oh, that's definitely worth looking into, though. I do know that uh, the suspect we do have in mind had ties mostly to the Lancaster area, which is like 
almost an hour away. Okay. And moved to a trailer park. Okay. And you said that you've had a uh, second follow-up with the emailer? Uh, yeah, it was just, it was just uh, to ask if I could ask additional questions, which they were like, yeah, go ahead. And, and they didn't reply. Answer. Okay. What was the uh, email that it came from? Not like Gmail or something. Was it a Gorilla Mail or something? It was a like, it was a mail.com, but it was JW Tips. JW so, Tips. <laughs> yeah, it's like first name J Tips, last name W Tips. I don't know. <laughs> so I don't know. How long have you tried to analyze that? A uh, long time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, All right. Okay. So, what do we do well, with this? I, I mean, I think I think uh, we have some follow up to do on on that address and uh, cross referencing the uh, sex offenders list and that uh, potential suspect that um, Jennifer was looking at. Yeah. And then from there, maybe if you find anything, submit that to the police. Other than that, I don't know. Well, the person who sent you the email said that they heard you on the show, so maybe they're maybe they're listening, listening. And I don't know if you want to send them another email and say, "Hey, I just did another episode with these guys." Maybe, maybe they'll listen, and maybe they'll follow follow back up on your on your questions because yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess, interesting. I, so. I get it that someone would want to get it off their chest. Yeah, like they saw this. And it, it's been sort of bothering them and, and like lurking in the back of their head for a long time. And then they hear this and they think to themselves, oh, this this could be something that I can, it's a release for me now and I don't have to think about it and I'm done with it. But okay, bring yourself back to, you know, this is a human being that needs some some answers here. Well, I would also ask this um, this emailer to look at pictures of Nicole Russo who, Jennifer, you uh, just sent us some information from, and um, we found some also on the Charlie Project, which is a, a great site. So check out the Charlie Project. Even support them if you can. Um, it's a great site. Tell us a little bit about this uh, this victim, Nicole Russo. Yeah, so this was a very recent development that I've been looking into. Just uh, the last week, I've been reading all about this case. Um, I often frequent the site NamUs, um, which is like a database for uh, missing, unidentified, unclaimed uh, people uh, throughout the United States, I believe. I don't. It's not international, right? I don't believe it's international. Um, yeah. Shout out Todd so, Matthews. <laughs> so sometimes if, if I check back on Suitcase Jane Doe's page, there's like links that other users can connect to a certain case. So... There was a new one, a missing person linked to Suitcase Jane Doe as a potential match. And, and there's a lot of these. It's not like an uncommon thing that something would be linked to Suitcase Jane Doe. But none of them had really, like upon further investigation, looked like they were good or just had too many facts that were, you know, disproportionate and stuff. Uh-huh. This is all part of the NamUs website where they actually have some... I don't know, algorithm or something that is, uh, you know, there to determine whether or not this could be a potential connection. I don't think there is an algorithm. I think it's actually a, a human made connection. Oh, that's really interesting. Okay, cool. Yeah. And I don't think that you can be an amateur subscriber to NamUs to connect a case because I've tried <laughs> to do that. But I think it's law enforcement or, you know, mm. coroners. Okay. It could be Todd Matthews who literally made that connection. Yeah. In his basement. Yeah. Um. 
Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for. Okay, so I have to be honest. When when I first looked at the, the at the page from the Charlie Project, uh, I said out loud, "That's her." I I really did. I thought it was her. Look at this picture. This is the composite of Suitcase Jane Doe versus the pictures of Nicole Russo. I I, I didn't want to tell you guys this, but I thought for sure this was her. Right when I saw the Charlie the, Project, the Charlie Project profile. The first picture on there was it. It fits so completely in so many ways. Let, let let's break it down, Jen. I really think uh, I really think this is her. So is this what we're going for, that this is her, or this is a connected murder to her murder? Well, we'll go through the facts. Yeah, because I don't know if we've said it yet, Nicole Russo is still missing. But, right, but okay. but her boyfriend at the time was convicted of murder. Okay. Right. Let, all right, right. Let, let's go through well, this. It's, this is... it's really funny that you mentioned that, Tim, because that's the exact reaction I had when I clicked on just the name of the site and looked at her photo. It's unbelievable. I mean, these... It's those cheekbones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> those high cheekbones. Man. Or their yeah, eyes are spaced um, the same way, too. But I'm still a bit reticent to say that it is her because there are some, you know, disparate details that don't necessarily match up. But, like, as we've gone through the the facts of the suitcase Jane Doe case, like, there are so many instances where I just can't trust what's in a report or what details they are, you know. These two uh, photos. Yeah, Tim, Tim's still. Look at these two photos <laughs> right it's, there. It's, it's flabbergasting. Look at that. Yeah, I mean, I can't it, see it. But that <laughs> one. Sorry, I'll, I'll bring it closer. That one and that one, and then yeah. this one and the one to the left. Yeah, absolutely. It's so close. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Whew. No worries. Um, so let's let's go through the details of Nicole Russo. So okay. she is still missing. Her body's never been recovered. But she is believed to have been murdered uh, by her boyfriend at the time. Last seen in Brooklyn, New York, in mm-hmm. March of 1995. Of course, uh, as as discussed earlier, like three or four months later, suitcase Jane Doe was found that summer. The torso. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yep. She was. She's, go she's ahead. From a place called Brick, New Jersey. Okay. Um, she was 16 years old, which is a bit younger than they put suitcase Jane Doe at, but their age range was so large, like, we can't discount that fact. What was uh, suitcase Jane Doe's age range again? Well, initially, it was, like, 15 to 40, <laughs> and then it changed to 25 to 35. Okay, all right, still not too far off. No, not okay. too much. Yeah. Right. yeah I she got was here's... five foot tall, which is the range that suitcase Jane Doe was in, and she was 98 pounds. Which is actually different from the weight approximation that they give, uh, that they attribute to Suitcase Jane Doe. But I can only imagine that that, that could have something to do with... Uh, the state of the body. Right, and being in the water a little yeah. bit. Yeah. I also don't really know how they arrived at a, va- a weight either if yeah. she was dismembered. Yeah. And yeah. there was parts of the legs missing. It's their best guess. It's probably Yeah, they probably just took an average. Sure, yeah. Because I think 98 pounds, 5 feet tall, 98 pounds is pretty thin, right? It's a small girl. Yeah. 
very small. Okay. All right. Continue. Sorry. So the biggest thing that really jumped out at me was that Nicole had a tattoo of a fighting Irishman. It's like that fisticuffs Irishman, yep. you know. Um, she had this tattoo on her right inside ankle. And one of the legs, the right leg of suitcase Jane Doe, uh, had the skin deliberately removed from the, I think, the thigh down to the ankle. Wow. Right. Okay. I remember we were talking about that and we were trying to figure out whether or not that was something that an animal would have done. Right. Yeah. I think law enforcement chalked it up to an animal. But she also had like those, um, the small blade marks on her bones around that area. Am I wrong? In remembering well, that? yeah, that was like up on the hip to detach the legs from the torso. Sorry. Yep. Um, I don't think they found any tool marks like lower on the bones. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they didn't deliberately remove it because maybe they didn't cut deep enough to hit the bone. Yeah. Maybe I, it was just... I'd imagine after, like, hypothetically speaking, if this is suitcase Jane Doe, I would imagine once she's murdered and she's not fighting back, you probably don't have to, um, you know, cut as deep in order to remove a tattoo. You know, this is all, like, post-mortem. So... You know Are what you I mean? Insinuating that she was alive when her leg. No, no, right? no, no, no. I was, I'm saying just because there's no marks on the bone, ah. it, it sort of indicates to me that a removal of a tattoo would be post mortem, and they don't have, you know, there's no struggling. That it can be more of a clean cut. Totally, totally. But the thing is that that makes us weird. I mean, the whole thing's weird. But if they did do go to such trouble as to dismember the body, remove the tattoo, how come they didn't remove her teeth or like her fingers, <laughs> you know, know, and like mob murders? I don't know. Maybe they were running short on time or just too Ooh. brazen to think that that would be a, a thing, but they removed the tattoo. Yeah. It's, I mean, the tattoo is like an instant recognition thing, but so is like, fingerprints and shit yeah but if you've been fingerprinted before right yeah as long as they're cutting up the body though why not yeah just why not take yeah. the teeth and the fingers too i mean nicole's prints wouldn't have been on file anyway yeah. she's young she's never been in trouble okay know. what's this um next note here the uh the several seven inch metal rod in her back yeah yeah so she had a metal rod from a surgery for scoliosis um which I found no mention of in the suitcase Jane Doe autopsy. But, you know, there could be facts that they just kept to themselves. Yeah, that would seem like one of those facts that police would keep to themselves just to see if someone would come forward and say there's a, you know. Could be. Yeah, dude. Yeah. One of how those details. Would, how would the killer know that there was a rod in her back? I mean, the, the mortician might not have even known, I suppose, or the, the medical examiner, potentially. Like, maybe until they incinerated the torso they might not have known right yeah you know and then even then how do you know where it's like why it's there yeah mm -hmm. okay in the autopsy they do mention bruises on the back uh-huh um that's the verbiage taken from like non-official reports on this so okay. i mean they could have meant scars could have mm. been lost in translation i don't know I'm just mentioning it because there's, like, marks on the back. <laughs> okay, what about this next one? This one's incredible to me. Yeah, this one also jumped out at me. So she was last seen wearing this, like, green silk jacket, gray skirt, dark shirt, and she had some white tennis shoes. But 
She was also mentioned to have disappeared carrying some maroon jeans and a knapsack with Mickey Mouse on it. And if you recall, with the legs in the green trash bag, they found a sweatshirt with Mickey Mouse on it. Uh, this might have been like a common thing in the 90s to have Mickey Mouse on things, but they said that Nicole loved her backpack. She took it everywhere with her, and it was found in her boyfriend's hotel room. So if she loved Mickey Mouse that much, what are the chances that she might have had a Mickey Mouse sweatshirt? It's just it's one of those tentative, strange things that jumped out at me. Yeah, I mean, Mickey Mouse is very, very popular as as the father of two kids. I uh, I, I swear by that. Um, but the, I would have to say this is a startling connection. Yeah, yeah, it did. It kind of made my heart drop a little bit. <laughs> did uh, you ever uh, look into her boyfriend? Did you say what's up with him now? Yeah, he's in prison. He's um he was convicted in '96, I believe, uh, on four counts. Um, okay. One was Nicole's first degree murder, and then he had plotted to kill his uncle and aunt because he allegedly confessed to them. Oh. So it was kind of a jailhouse deal where he approached another inmate and asked him to kill his uncle and aunt. So oh. he's been convicted for Nicole's murder. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so but let's, let's... he maintained his his innocence and did not take a plea deal when okay. offered. Well, let, let, let's go through what, what you wrote here about this because um, there's some interesting information. So they started dating in February of 1995. And uh, again, Nicole was 16 and mm-hmm. Lewis was 19. Uh, apparently her family met and approved of the relationship with Louis. Yeah, they did. So the, her boyfriend's name is Louis Ursinoli. hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, he was indeed 19. Um it seemed like her family really did approve of this guy. He was well-spoken. He was kind. He took care of her. They were only dating for a few weeks, though. Yeah. So I don't know how serious it was. And the way it sort of shook out was that um, Nicole was, like, sort of still involved with her ex-boyfriend, Brian. And she had told the day before she went missing, she had told Louis or Louie um, that she was going to get back together with her ex, with Brian. And Louie, you know, kind of like just didn't accept that and showed up at her house the next day. And he's like, well, you promised to go to my mother's house in Long Island. Uh, You still got to come with me. And so she's, I don't know why she decided to go, but maybe she just felt like, hey, I did promise this guy. Like he told his mother that we were dating I might as well go, even though I don't have any intention to to keep dating this guy. But allegedly they never showed up at Louis' mother's house. At least that's what she said. Um, So when Nicole failed to arrive at school the next day on Monday, her father uh, got a hold of Louis. And he's like, you know, where are you guys? And Louis said that he had dropped off Nicole in Brooklyn at 93rd Street and 7th Avenue because Nicole wanted to get a pager from her ex-boyfriend's apartment. Apparently he lived in Brooklyn as well. Um, and Louis said that she was going to, you know, page him when she wanted to be picked up, but she never did. That's Louis's story. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Her ex-boyfriend, Brian. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Which the whole thing seems shady, like a strange story. Uh, why would Louis drop... Nicole off at her ex-boyfriend's house. And then leave. Wow. And leave. Yeah, it's 
just strange. Have have uh, any has Brian been looked into at all in this? Yeah, yeah, definitely. That was okay. definitely mentioned in the uh, trial summaries that I read. So they were supposed to go to Long Island. Yeah. Okay. So that, which yeah, I mean, how how far of a drive? How long would that take to get to from Brick, New Jersey? To Long Island, uh, I say like an hour and a half. I mean, both okay. trucks would be yeah. crazy. Just getting from Brooklyn to Long Island is insane. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so I looked this up just now from Brick to Downingtown, Pennsylvania. It's an hour and forty minute drive. Yeah. Hundred and four yeah, miles. Two hours if you stop in Cord Creek Park where the legs were found. Wow. Okay. And okay. is it a, uh, a a highway that would need to be accessed that is sort of inconvenient or is it just you're, you're driving up and you, you take an exit and now you're heading towards Pennsylvania? Um, you know, so, okay, so we do know that Louie went to a place called Tom's River, New Jersey, and picked up a van from his, a place he worked at. It was an auto body shop. Um, his boss doesn't claim to see any girl with him. But he took this van and gassed it up in Tom's River. So we have record of him being in Tom's River. And then uh, from Tom's River to Downingtown, it's two hours. Core Creek Park's a little out of the way, but no more than 20 minutes. Okay. That doesn't, uh, that doesn't feel so out of the way when you're trying to dispose of the second wow. half of a body. Yeah, well, actually, uh, Tom's River is south of Brick if I'm not mistaken, like you said, it's, um, yeah. it's like a 20 minute. So it's actually the opposite direction of the way they said they were going. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And the purpose for him going to Tom's river was to get the van from. Yeah. He also was renting this, like another efficiency apartment in, um, what was it? Seaside, New Jersey. He was like in this shady motel. Okay. I've never heard of efficiency apartment until we started talking. Now it's <laughs> popped up twice. Okay. The more, you know, yeah. The more you know. Yep. Oh, okay. So what what happens what happens at this point with his story? So the, pol- the police allege like this the following narrative that uh Lewis took Nicole to his apartment in Seaside, New Jersey, where they had an argument. He killed her in his confession. He said he hit her 6 to 7 times with a crowbar and then left for a little while. And came back, and just to be sure, uh, slit her throat with oh. a small knife. His confession, this is from him? According to his confession to his uncle, it is hearsay, but this is what he said. He hit her several times with a crowbar after they had an argument. Mm-hmm. So he flew off, flew off the handle, fit a rage, hit her several times with a crowbar, and then he left, and then he wasn't sure about whether or not that killed her. And he mm-hmm. needed to make sure that the job was done, and then he slit her throat. Yeah, and came back. And- by all accounts, was she already dead after the crowbar, or or we don't know. I don't know. Okay. And then this scene uh, supposedly played out at his apartment or at a hotel. At his apartment in a motel. Oh, it was okay. like an apartment in a motel. Gotcha. Okay, so probably not a a maid who comes in every day, maybe. Right. Well, uh, the the scene was found by a detective on Nicole's missing person case. So he went to Louis's apartment and gained access through uh, the hotel owner, I believe. Okay. And when they went in, a carpet was missing along with two sofa cushions. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And then 
later when he was he he was talking to uh, the, another inmate in jail while he was awaiting trial, he allegedly confessed again to this inmate because he wanted this guy to kill his aunt and uncle. Um, and he said that he had wrapped the body in trash bags. Okay. Um, it, and that just like a suitcase, Jane Doe. Yeah, I mean, no mention of a suitcase. <laughs> right, right. But she was wrapped in trash bag before the suitcase, the torso, anyway, right? Uh, the suitcase was wrapped in a trash bag. The su- but okay, the, okay, that's the right. The legs were just in a trash bag. Okay. Wow. Oh my. Okay. 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 And you have something written here about forensic tests that were done in Lewis's room. Yeah, they did some like luminal uh, spraying in there and found like a huge blood trail. They're pretty sure it was the scene of a murder, but they couldn't be 100% sure that it was her blood. But it did look as if someone tried to clean it. Yeah, there was like wiping patterns. Wiping patterns. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that's how they determined that his apartment was probably uh, where Nicole died. And so they officially determined this in the court that uh, Louis killed Nicole in his apartment, according to the state. The uh, defendant bludgeoned Russo with a crowbar, slit her throat, as you as you said. All this is confirmed and, and was returned in a guilty verdict. Yeah, yeah. So he did, as I mentioned before, he had a plea deal. Um, he was to plead guilty to the first-degree murder of Nicole, and then they would take the other charges for conspiracy to commit murder and the death penalty off the table. I, but he didn't take the deal. He did not take the plea deal. No. Okay, that's interesting. And he's maintained his innocence. After confessing. After confessing. And they proved that there was a, a murder in that. Or they they at least strongly believed there was a murder in that apartment. Yeah. There's also eyewitness testimony from another tenant at this motel that they said they saw Louis like, ha- like park this white van in the motel and like come out of his apartment with a rolled up carpet. Okay. Okay. I just want to, uh, sorry if I missed this, I apologize if I did. The line that you wrote here in your bullet points in this document, you say that Louis approached the other inmate, Thomas uh, McPhee, to see mm-hmm. if he knew anyone who could kill his uncle for him. And then you had a bullet point here that he uh, killed Nicole because she wouldn't have sex with him and she made him kill her, which is pretty, I mean, that's a pretty... Uh, uh, typical trigger for people who are on the on the brink there of rage. Um, but it says here specifically, Louis said he dismembered her, put her in trash bags, buried her so she never could be found. Like yeah, he he specifically what, said I dismembered her. Right, right. That's what he told the inmate. But he also told his uncle something different, that he put the body in a dumpster in Long Island. So we have two different things going on. I mean, I imagine there would be reason for him not to tell his uncle that yeah. he had done this additional horrific thing, dismember a body. Um, there's also reason to believe he'd lie to the inmate just to be, like, tough and badass, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I just want to uh, go back for a second. The uh, the route from Brick, New Jersey to Hapaug, New York, Long Island. Hapaug? I don't know how to say that. It's on mm-hmm. Long Island. Good enough. <laughs> Apologies. Uh, but For that's a residence. <laughs> almost the <laughs> same amount of distance from Tom's River to Downingtown, but the the drive time is considerably different. It's about three hours, so it's about almost double 
uh, an hour and a half, the trip to Downingtown. There, there's no evidence to say that they were either in Brooklyn or Long Island yeah. that night. Wow. And was there ever any indication that Louis was familiar with um, Pennsylvania or the Downingtown area? No. The only uh, suggestion we have of Pennsylvania is that he had told his aunt that he had been on the run in both Pennsylvania and Chicago. But there are only so many days between Nicole's death and him showing up at his aunt and uncle's house that I don't know if he would have time to go to both Chicago and Pennsylvania Mm. and then circle back around to his aunt and uncle's house. So I think he's just a liar. (laughs) He's just making stuff up. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely some embellishments or lies, I would say, going on there. It's hard to tell what's true. But what is true that we know is Nicole Russo's body has not ever been found. And there's and never been a uh, sighting of her. And Louis is in prison. For her murder. For her murder. Correct. He yeah. did confess once to his uncle, another time to an inmate. Mm-hmm. But has since, uh, I guess, recanted those confessions. And now is declaring his innocence. Yes. Let's get Chris Duet and Andrew Dodge to give this Louie a ring. Yeah, for real. Now, is this, uh, did you um, talk to any law enforcement about this? Did you tell them that you came across this yet? Or it's so new that you haven't had the chance to? No, I haven't. And you know what? I just don't have a direct line. Up in them. the up in the cabin that you're holed out in. Oh, well, that too. I'm surprised uh, you have internet like all the way up there. Locations in the Appalachian. <laughs> um, no, I meant... Like, I can't even get the direct line to the Chad Roberts, Trooper Chad Roberts Mm. desk. I have to keep. And he travels between uh, uh, barracks. So I never know where he is. And he doesn't really give me a call back. So I don't really know what to do with all this information. But enough um, connections here to make this really compelling. So great work, Jen, in, uh, in checking this out. And thanks to the Charlie Project and thanks to NamUs, too. Um, for helping with this connection. So uh, so what's next? Um, I think I'm going to investigate the connection with Blackhawk Apartments and see if there's any tenants there with some criminal history, some sexual abuse history. Um, and then I'd really like to, to get one of the detectives on Nicole's case on the line and uh, see if this can't be connected further. Okay, we promised an update here we have to tell you that namus has officially ruled out nicole russo as being suitcase jane doe now namus is the national missing and unidentified persons system and that was something that was created in part by a friend of the show todd matthews and they did this uh they do a bunch of tests and they do some cross references and they rule out existing bodies with current jane does and and or they connect them so uh, Nicole was officially ruled out by NamUs, but that is not as disappointing as it might seem on the surface. The fact that Jen is looking into this, NamUs is aware of it, uh, this is ruled out, is, is, uh, it shows a level of productivity that I think is really motivational, at least, at least for me. And I don't know for you, Tim, but it, I feel like this is, it just shows that progress is being made. 
Yeah, I thought it was great. And um, and we actually found out that that some updates to the NamUs site were made uh, just recently, just in November of 2019. Yeah. So I'm not sure if if uh, Jen, I don't I, I, I can't attribute credit because we haven't heard back about it. Um, and I don't know if we would know anyway, but um, it seems that the timing could have worked out to where uh, it was actually Jen who made this connection. I'm not really quite sure, though, and I certainly don't want to give credit if someone else made the connection. Um, but there are four missing persons exclusions here for Suitcase Jane Doe. One of them is Nicole Russo, and that was apparently updated. I'm not sure if that connection was made in November, this November 2019, or some update to Nicole Russo's page on NamUs and Suitcase Jane Doe's page on NamUs were both made in November, this past November 2019. Yeah, again, not sure if this had anything to do with Jen, but we do know that it is a is a it's a much smaller community than we had expected before we talked with Todd Matthews. After talking to Todd Matthews, you realize like how hands-on everything is, so it really wouldn't surprise me if this was in part due to Jen's work, but I don't know if, if we'll ever know, but again, progress is being made and and uh also pretty remarkable the uh the resemblance. Like I would I would have put money on that. I would have put money on Nicole being suitcase Jane Doe. I absolutely would have too, Lance. And you can hear it in our voices. I mean, we're we're pretty uh, pr- pretty passionate about about it, and especially me. I feel like I'm 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 convinced. Um, but hey, what can you do? You know that that's you know it's it's this episode sort of rounds out the entire experience, right? You you kind of you get that feeling, you get that that euphoria, you get that rush of adrenaline going through your bloodstream you're like i think i think this is it i think i'm about to make this connection and then you find out it it's not that connection and and that's kind of just the process and you just keep going right yeah and we hear the stories from todd matthews when he discovered the identity of tent girl where he stood up and you know basically knocked his chair over and said i i I found her this is her and went in and woke his wife up and um you know it's you want that moment to happen because you want to you want to see uh, a result of all the work. It's not about um, taking credit or, or it being glorious or something. You want to see all the work that's been put into this have a result, like anything else that you do in your life, right? Yeah. So great work, Jen, and uh, great work, Namus, making that exclusion. So Nicole Russo is not Suitcase Jane Doe. The search continues. Mm-hmm. 